welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. I am an attorney for a professional sports organization, and welcome to my pod. This week, I have a new friend of mine, Erica Brennan. Uh, it's actually Coach Erica Brennan. Uh, she's a head women's golf coach at the University of South Florida. We met recently at an event where I was speaking on a panel and she asked an amazing question. So um, I kind of called her out and was like, hey, want to be on my pod? And it was pretty cool. Anyway, she's um, previously held positions as a women's golf coach at Southern Mississippi, um, at St. Leo, and at Tennessee. She was a student athlete. Uh, she played golf while she was at Western Carolina and she studied sport management. She is on her second master's degree right now. We talk about that a little bit, her perpetual um, uh, being a student. And we talk a lot about leadership and mentorship and um, it's a great conversation. There's even this one time where she did karaoke in front of like 40,000 people. It's pretty cool. Um, she also has her own podcast called leading beyond sport. And, um, we talk about it a little bit. It's been on a little hiatus since she got this new, um, awesome gig at USF. So, um, I think you all should download it and get ready for when she has new episodes. Uh, this week I want to make sure that I finally tell you all who won the, you negotiate like a girl by Amy Trask book. Um, and that winner. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Melissa Caruso and her review. Um, I'm going to read it now because why not? Uh, I am loving these podcasts. As a female who has been in the sports industry for almost a decade, I've enjoyed hearing stories from other women in similar situations. The podcast has also given me so much more insight into other career paths within the field and goes to show just how limitless our opportunities really are. Thank you, Bobby Sue, for bringing attention to all the ladies working tirelessly in the sports and entertainment industry. Thank you, Melissa. And that will be on its way to you. I'm going to send you an email um, so I can get an address. Although I think I can find your address because I know where you work. Um, that's not creepy. She sent an email from her work email. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Um, I really appreciate you all rating and reviewing the podcast uh, for my birthday last week. I want to let you know that I got multiple deliveries of cupcakes to my workplace um, from people who are just amazing. So uh, thank you for all the kind wishes. And, um, and it was a great birthday. Um, I am now going to let you get into the interview. Hey, Erica. Hey, what's going on? How are you? I am great. Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field. I'm so excited to have you on. I am so pumped to be able to uh, do this with you. I think it was awesome getting to meet you. And uh, I'm excited to see what you're going to ask and kind of see where this conversation goes. Yeah. And uh, for those uh, listening, so we actually just met like within the last week. Um, I was speaking at a panel at the University of South Florida. And Erica asked a really great question and then, uh, and not to me, uh, to a different panelist, which then of course I jumped in because I am an asshole on panels. Um, I just don't know how to not jump in. It's problematic. Uh, 
<laughs> but it's fine. Um, so uh, I want to start this off by asking you, how did you fall in love with sports? Oh, man, I think that's an easy one for me. My parents are both pretty athletic. And that was just something that honestly, as far back as I have memory, we were throwing a ball or we were outside in the backyard playing. So I don't really know that there's a conscious time when I fell in love with sport. It's just kind of always been a part of me and a huge part of me. I mean, growing up, I played a lot of different sports, but my first love is fast pitch softball. It continues to be a huge love of mine. Uh, and, And it's just something that we've always done kind of as a family. So did you play in college? I did. I played college golf at Western Carolina University. And it's kind of interesting. I always played golf with my dad growing up. It was kind of just, you know, one of the many things that he and I did. I'm an only child. so I'm very close with my family. (laughs) And so I always played golf with him. But softball, you know, really was the sport that that had my heart at the time. And I actually didn't get serious about golf until pretty much my junior year of high school. But in retrospect, the reason why I continue to love golf today, I think, is because I never got burnt out on it. It was such a slow burn my whole life that uh, I'm still so in love with the game of golf and, and all of the lessons that it's taught me and, and things like that. Did you burn out on softball? You know, I, yes and no, I think. Um, I play year-round from 12 and under ball all the way through high school. So oh, you early a, specialized? Uh, you know what? I don't know that I early specialized because I was also the kid that like if I wanted to sign up for a sport, my parents were never going to tell me no, but I would have to finish out the season. They wouldn't let me quit mid-season. Ah, so okay. I learned very quickly that I was not a basketball player. <laughs> I learned very quickly that I was not a soccer player. But I even signed up for roller hockey. And I think I was the only girl that played in the roller hockey league. Um, but, but I liked it. So I don't, I don't know that I early specialized necessarily, but softball for sure had my heart. Where, where are you from? I'm from right here in Central Florida. I grew up in Lake Wales, right smack in the middle of Polk County. And uh, so, so Tampa, I mean, this, this is essentially home for me. So they had roller hockey? I, I'm just, I, this is something that I am so intrigued by right now. Yeah, I don't know that the league really became much more than just those couple of years. Uh, it was definitely in its infancy, but I actually really enjoyed playing roller hockey. I played with all the boys. Like like I said, I was the only girl on the team, and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, there's not really a huge future in roller hockey in Florida. Right, right. It's interesting. I had... Um... I had Tara Black on, and she's the COO for the Charlotte Checkers AHL team. And um, she started off, like, one of the first jobs that she had was with a roller hockey team out in California, um, which is just kind of funny to me. And I asked, like, a million questions because I didn't know that that was a thing. Totally a thing. Not, just not something that became much of a thing beyond probably my rookie season as an 11-year-old. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you decide on Western Carolina for school and in particular um, the sport management program? Yeah. So Western Carolina for me was always actually on the radar. I grew up going to church camp in the mountains in North Carolina and just for me, the, it, it's bizarre that I'm telling you I live in Tampa, but the mountains are my paradise, <laughs> much more than the beach. Uh, I absolutely love 
hiking. I love backpacking. I love being out in the woods. Uh, in Western Carolina was a school that I was going to be able to play golf, be successful, get a great education. But then at the same time on the weekends, I could be in the mountains or on the river or whatever the case. So it's a very, it's, you know, almost like Colorado Boulder in a way on a miniature scale. It's a very outdoors driven university. And that's what drew me there. Okay. And then what, what led you to the degree in sport management? You know, I think I was one of those kids that just knew what I was going to do very quickly, which is hysterical now because now at 33, I can tell you that I have absolutely no clue, you know, what I'm going to do. So, but, but, you know, when you're 18, I just, I had it all figured out. I was going to be the general manager of a, you know, well-to-do private golf resort uh, and, you know, nothing was going to stop me. So sport management was a major that lended itself to that end. Uh, and, and what I discovered is that, uh, coaching, I kind of fell in love with that really just based on having had an amazing college coach. And I really liked the kind of psychology and digging in with the people and the relational side of coaching. And so I think that's ultimately what drew me away from being that general manager. So you're one of those people who loves school. You, you went and got your master's degree in management from Warner University. And did you finish out your uh, your master's at Southern Miss? I didn't because I was able to to take advantage of that opportunity and come down here to coach. So that second master's degree is still in progress. But I'm such a nerd uh, by by nature. I kind of wear it as a badge of honor. It's not something that I shy away from. But <laughs> absolutely, I mean it's 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 a borderline sickness. I will chase something down the rabbit hole if I get excited about it. And I won't stop to come up for air. So really bizarre things like quilting. Like I know way too much about quilting just because it, it came up and I That's had amazing. to learn everything about it. So, <laughs> uh, more, I, and it, yeah, bizarre. Through hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, the Revolutionary War. Like there's really no rhyme or reason. Just if something grabs my attention, I will chase it down the rabbit hole. So I'm a total nerd. I love it. Um, what is, um, so what is a master's in human capital development? It sounds like a lot of words that probably mean HR, but I don't know. You know, that's, that's awesome. And that's, that's originally what I thought it was, uh, as I was exploring some different degrees that I wanted to pursue. And, and I'll say this, pursuing the degree, honestly, for the journey of the pursuit, it was never like, especially a second master's was never something that I even necessarily had the end game in mind. It was just a fantastic benefit of being an employee at Southern Miss with tuition remission. And I thought, you know, if that's the benefit that's out there, I've just kind of always felt like education is something that no one can ever take away from you. Sure. Uh, It's not a material thing. It's not, you know, so why not take advantage of the opportunity to learn something new? So human capital development is really, really a really fancy way of saying, you know, leadership development and people skills and the psychology behind what motivates people and things like that. And so that was deeply intriguing to me, especially as a college coach, because I thought, you know, honestly, like what would be more applicable to what we do every day than kind of digging into some of those topics? Oh, for sure. Um, And that sounds far 
more interesting than what I was thinking it was. Um, but I love like I love when they name degrees sometimes, and you have to almost figure out what it means. But it's such a good set of skills to have, particularly for you know what it is that you do uh, for your career. So when you graduated from college, did you go straight to St. Leo? I didn't. I did a two-year... Okay, so I started my master's degree immediately, mm-hmm. and I began working as a graduate assistant for an NAIA women's golf team uh, there in Lake Wells, Florida, which was Weber International Inter- uh, University. So that's where I got my start was NAIA, and it was honestly invaluable. I felt like I got a lot of autonomy right out of the gate uh, to kind of try you know, basically, you know, you're at that point, you're figuring out what your coaching philosophy is and you're figuring out your style. And luckily for me, I worked for a lady, Nancy Nichols, that just gave me a lot of autonomy and trusted me, which was amazing. And then concurrent to that position, I started out at the David Ledbetter Golf Academy in Champions Gate, which uh, in the golf world, you know, David Ledbetter is is one of the more renowned teachers. Um, He has a very finite philosophy on swing mechanics and things like that. And it took pretty much a full two years to get through that training and certification program. Uh, And what I loved about that is that's where you gain all of the technical knowledge on the golf swing and and, and understanding cause and effect. And that part I really loved was kind of digging into the mechanics of the golf swing. That's interesting. I don't think I knew um, everything it kind of took to, to be able to get certified and and to do all of those things. I mean, golf is still kind of a mystery to me. I'm not going to lie. Um, okay, golf is still a mystery to me. It's a hard, <laughs> skill-based game. It's, it's, it's a brutally hard game. Yeah. I, um, I, so one of my first guests was Tracy West. And, okay. um, and so she was great talking to me about, you know, Valspar Championship and, and like, you know, her and her family playing golf and I have a set of used clubs. I have a little outfit. I have sometimes gone and played. I just, I have a hard time getting myself out there, I think. Um, But so many people I know love that sport. I think you love it because you can never truly master it. And if you're if you're somebody that's driven, I think that it, it will drive you insane in equal measure, but it also gives you just enough reward each time you go out to kind of keep you coming back. And I think for a lot of people, that's the allure of golf. Now, the things that you just mentioned, those are actually some of the more prohibitive factors that why people don't get into golf. Number one, it's so time intensive. Right. It's not like going to play, you know, a set of tennis with your friends or going to shoot hoops at lunch hour it's such a time intensive sport just to play 18 holes. And then the time it takes, I think to get up to speed to where it's actually fun to go out and play, you know, that it just takes time because it's so skill-based, but I will say this, if you've got the outfit, you're like well over halfway there. (laughs) Well, and I, I don't, I think uh, the following statement won't really surprise you even with how um, short of a time period that you've known me, but, I just go out there and I just am like, eh, whatever happens, happens. And I just have fun with it and make fun of myself. 
and I don't hold anyone back. If like, I'm just like really sucking at it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick up this ball now and I'm going to throw it where you guys' balls are. And that's yeah. going to be how we do this. <laughs> uh, that's the perfect way to do it, especially as, an, as a beginner. I think if you have expectations, it's just an absolute killer in this game. So I think approaching it with kind of that casual attitude and, and demeanor, which I mean, that's so you anyway, which is perfect because it's just authentic. But I think as long as you're doing that, you'll continue to enjoy the game. And if you're enjoying it, then obviously you'll, you'll begin to put more time into it and, and improve. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you, well, let's back up a little bit. How old is your daughter now? Our daughter is five years old. Has she started playing yet? You know, that's such a, we get asked that question so often. So she has clubs oh my and God. she, she loves to be around the game. She loves to go and hit a few balls, you know, with, with my husband. She loves all of that. However, we're not pushing her in the slightest. Oh, of course. If she goes out, if she goes out and wants to hit three balls and then chase squirrels, we're like, yep enjoy it if she wants to build a castle in the practice bunker after she's putted for five minutes we let her do it because i think at this age it's really just all about exposure and making it fun and at some point she'll either latch onto it or she won't right and we're okay we're totally okay either way brian brian which is my husband he's amazing but he and i are both jock um so like i think in the in the in our mind, we're like, oh, of course, our child will be athletic and, and will enjoy these things. But we've kind of come to realize that, like, it's almost more fun to kind of live vicariously through her and the things that she loves, which right now is art and teddy bears and, and you know, normal five-year-old things. So we are not rushing her into anything. Mm-mm. And if she's not a sports kid, totally cool. Be the best violinist you can be or what you know whatever you're into yeah just be disciplined with it and be the best that you can be at it that's all we wish for her one of the things i love about erica's story is how she's continuously learning and trying to build on her skill sets and add new master's degrees and you can do that too Florida International University has 20 years of excellence in online education. FIU's online programs feature the same top-ranked faculty as on-campus classes. Their online students earn degrees from a university that is committed to learning, research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and creativity. So graduates are prepared to succeed in a global market. Online master's degrees from FIU are designed to meet the demands of busy professionals and offer flexibility for family obligations. Check out their website for more information at fiuonline.com slash podcast. That's fiuonline.com slash podcast. I have to dig into this a little bit. The clubs that she has, are they like the Fisher Price, like plastic clubs, or are they like legit toddler clubs? They're legit clubs, yeah. Oh like, um, you know, they're yeah, graphite caps and metal heads and the whole thing. Um, and a little pink bag, and you oh know, she's my God. she's awesome. She's awesome in so many ways. She's taught me so many things, but she's not. She's a total girly girl, which is not me whatsoever. I'm I'm a tomboy. I like to be one of the guys. I like to hang out with the guys. Like that's kind of more my vibe. 
she is so girly, which is a riot for me. And I'll give you a perfect example. She said the other day, she's like, hey, you know, mommy, can you French braid my hair? And I'm like, no, I cannot. I can, <laughs> like, you can have a ponytail or a bun, you know, like, because that's, that's just how I, you know, that's, that's where my skill set is. Um, but, uh, but we're having a blast with her. So, so same thing. Like, she likes the colored golf balls. She likes, you know, the hot pink tees. Yeah. And it's got exposure right now. I love that. Um, the hair story is really funny. I, uh, while doing research, saw a picture of you with a bow in your hair. And I'm not going to lie, my eyebrows went up a little going, she agreed to that, huh? All right. Okay. You're talking about me with a bow yeah. in my hair. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's so funny is I'm a total bow head. Like, I'm, I feel like in my soul, I'm a girly girl. I like... I like monograms and I like, you know, cute purses and I like pink and purple, like in my mind and Yankee candles. I feel like for some reason, <laughs> if you like Yankee candles, like you are a girly girl, I don't, and Vera Bradley and things like that. But so in my soul, I feel like I'm there. I just, I, 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 I think you're, a, I'm, I think you're allowed to be a lot of different things, right? Yeah, so. I think totally allowed, totally allowed. But, um, Comfort is key for me, and um, I, I tell people that I grew up in a firehouse, and that's something that I'm actually really, really proud of. But I, I would, I would be remiss if I said that that didn't shape, you know, a lot of a lot of the ways that I am now, just based solely on that environment. So, is your father a fireman? He was a firefighter for 30 years and retired <sighs> as deputy chief uh, there in Lake Wales, and. Uh, is now pursuing a second career, which I think is just amazing. The way that that my mom and dad continue to pursue the things that set them on fire, and that they don't, you know, just coast into retirement. So now they're both full time out on the PGA tour, and they actually what? travel full time. Yes, isn't that cool? <laughs> like they're the coolest people. It's That's awesome. amazing. Like I, yeah, yeah, it's high standards to live up to. I'll tell you that, but. They, um, they're awesome. The lessons that they're able to teach. And, and the thing is, is like, I don't even know that they realize that they're teaching just by the way that they live, but sure. I, more is caught, more is caught than taught. And I feel like I've caught a lot of insight from the two of them over the years. That's great. So th- they taught you how to golf, I'm guessing. Yeah, my dad, my dad taught me how to golf. He was my first, uh, my first ever swing instructor and same thing. It was, it was really more about exposure and it would be, you know, my dad and a couple of the firefighters on his shift and on the days when they got off at the fire department at, you know, seven fifteen in the morning, you know, he would swing by, pick me up and, and we were off to the golf course. So it was really with dad and, and the guys on his shift that I started playing and just have, have just kind of always loved it. Are there many uh, female coaches in there are yeah and and that's something that i think is uh is really cool but yes there are there are a lot of really strong amazing women that coach college golf that's fantastic to hear um i know that that's not always the case with women's sports right there are um especially right now for whatever reason over the last uh 10 years the number of female collegiate coaches in all sports not um, specific to any, but has gone down. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think that that 
statistic is altogether surprising, honestly. I think that, you know, as, as women, as women pursue marriages and as women pursue children and things like that, I mean, I, if, if you don't have a spouse or a partner that is a hundred percent committed to that life, you know, you're going to, you're going to find yourself on the unhappy side pretty quickly, I think. And, and I don't know, I guess I would just say that, you know, finding that person that is going to be not only supportive because supportive isn't enough, you know, but finding that person that wants to take on that lifestyle with you, I think is just so critically important. Um, and if you can find that person, you know, there's, there's no reason why you can't have that work-life balance as a, as a female coach. And there's, there's no reason I don't think why you can't be an excellent coach and an excellent mom or an excellent coach and an excellent wife. Um, I don't think that those relationships are inversely related. I think actually the opposite is true. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you, when you mentioned the lifestyle of being a coach and, and what that, you know, encompasses? Sure. I think, you know, by nature, you, to at least to a degree, you always have to be on. There's really no, there's really no time that you can check out mentally. Uh, certain, certain seasons, right, throughout the year, um, you definitely can scale it back. But I, I believe that my coaching philosophy and how I try to coach is that, you know, we're here to help young ladies discover their own brilliance and we're here to mentor and foster that. And we're going to use golf as a vehicle for getting those life lessons. Um, and for me, I measure success if there's a student athlete that gets a lesson quicker than I did growing up. I would measure that as a huge success um, because there were plenty of lessons that I had to get knocked over the head with several times before, I, you know, the light bulb went off. So if you're doing it that way and you're trying to be transformational in your leadership, the amount of time that you have to invest to do that. I mean, you just don't get, you don't get to turn off, I guess is, is kind of the easy way to say it. So, you know, student athletes, they've got, they've got more demands, you know, on them maybe than ever before. I think the pressure from social media and even mainstream media to a degree is higher than it's ever been. And so you do have to take the time to mentor, to come alongside of, to get down in the trenches, to learn what motivates each one of them, to know that if you're doing it right, that's going to be something different for each of them. Um, and if you kind of approach it that way and you, you're trying to be specialized to each one of them, that just takes an inordinate amount of time and you have to be willing to pursue that. You can't fake authenticity ever. You know, one of the things with my career right now and that I get a glimpse into um, and it's with, you know, professional, um, but it's really not much different. I think on a collegiate side um, is the fact that, you know, you, in order to move up or um, to get better opportunities, you might have to move right. Um, and uproot your life. Um, can you talk a little bit about that side of things and, um, you know, how your husband has, um, 
been a partner in that with you. Um, sure. You know, how you guys work that out. Absolutely. So again, I think, I think Brian is, is a, you know, a one in a million kind of guy. He, um, he gets me in a way that nobody else does, which is fascinating and, and amazing and probably better than I deserve. Um, the cool thing about Brian is he is the son of a naval captain. So growing up, they moved every two to three years as is. So geography has never been something that Brian, you know, has put a lot of stock in because he's lived everywhere. Now, that's terrible when you're trying to plan a honeymoon. Cause I'm like, let's go to Hawaii. He's like, yeah, I lived there for three years. I'm like, oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> let's go. You know, it didn't matter where I wanted to go. He had, you know, he'd already lived there. But um, so geography is not something that he's ever put a lot of stock in. I would say growing up in a small town in Florida where my parents have had lived all of their lives where I had lived, you know, until I went away from college, I felt like that I was probably more of a homebody, but I feel like that was a lesson that Brian taught me is like, no, seek the adventure, seek, you know, change, seek the newness, embrace it. And that's something that he does so remarkably well that, you know, we, we did, we, we, we chased, we chased the opportunity and we weren't going to let geography closed doors for us and I think in retrospect you know like obviously we've moved we've moved a few times now but in retrospect I wouldn't do it any differently I think even even the opportunities that maybe you know didn't turn out the way that you would have envisioned or or anything like that in the moment there were so many lessons learned insight gleaned you know the personal development opportunity that like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't believe what I believe. I wouldn't coach the way that I coach. And I wouldn't be the coach at the University of South Florida had I not gone through all of those situations. One of the um, things that I often wonder about with uh, coaches, male and female, it, and their partners is, you know, how, how do you manage the other partner's career, right? Um, what does Brian do for work? So Brian actually is going to be an academic advisor in the College of Engineering here at the University of South Florida. So Yay. very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very early on in our relationship, as we talked about coaching and things like that, um, Brian is a hugely accomplished golfer in his own right. So we've been together for 11 years now. I've only ever beat him three times. He would tell you two times, but it was three. Um, and I, and I have to be playing my absolute best and he has to have an off day if I'm going to beat him. So he worked in the golf industry as well, which was perfect, you know, before marriage, before children and everything like that, because we both, you know, did, did things that we really enjoyed doing, but pretty strategically, you know, in sitting down and kind of mapping out what we wanted for our lives and our future, um, you know, he made the decision to to switch into higher education really because then as opportunities came along in athletics, you know, it was always going to be far easier for him to continue to stay in higher education, no matter where we went, because we would already have relationships built within, you know, that institution. So, 
uh, you know, he's hugely successful in his career as well. He's done several years in the Office of Admissions at Southern Miss, at St. Leo, um, as a transfer recruiter. And what's really cool about that is as much recruiting as he's done for universities, he and I have really robust conversations about recruiting strategies because it really isn't that different with what he's trying to do, you know, in the admissions side is what I'm trying to do to recruit golfers. So kind of fun, some fun dinner table dialogue, you know, about some different strategies with recruiting. Um, but he's also been in advising previously. And I think that is something that he's really, really excited to return to for the same reasons. Like it's more relational. Um, you know, you get to, to build out some of those relationships over the course of four years as you advise people and get them you get to see them when they matriculate all the way through to when they graduate. Whereas I think admission slightly more transactional, you know, you're getting them in the door, um, but then you're not as engaged on the retention side of the house. So uh, yeah, really intentional and strategic with him getting into higher education as well. And it's, it's worked out really well for us. I think that's fantastic. I, I mean, I can't tell you like how wide my smile is hearing that because and, and not because I think it's like completely out of the ordinary, right? That's not why I like think back to conversations that I've had with people that I dated in the past. And, um, you know, if I were lucky enough to get a job in sports, how it might mean moving and, and how that all works. And, and to know that the person that, you know, um, you're with is like completely on board and gets it. And, um, you know, that, that you were so intentional about it. I don't know. I just, I love it. Have you? Yeah. And you know, this, this job, um, you know, I've, they haven't been here for the past three months. So the first three months here, um, it's just been me and, and the two of them have been back in Mississippi and, and working through that transition. So to have a partner who says, yes, go, you know, unequivocally, this is an amazing move for our family. Go do it. If that means we have to be apart in the short run, I'm in it. Like we will get there, you know, all good. You know, we have to take advantage of this opportunity. And what's been really, really cool is in this three month transitional period, again, they come this week and I'm beside myself with excitement. Oh, Um, sure. but, But we've learned so much from the, you know, like more than, and, and probably more that we'll unpack and dissect later, you know, as those lessons continue to come out. But um, I think he's learned so much about himself. Uh, I know that I have, and I think we're, we're pretty excited now to, to obviously reconnect and, and kind of see, you know, kind of unpack some of that stuff together and, and, you know, learn that you, know, you can find, if you, I, I've always believed that you will find what you look for. And so I'm a person that looks for a silver lining and it's amazing because then you always seem to find one. But I think we'll look back at this long term as something like, you know, as just an amazing opportunity for growth, even though, you know, short term, you could look at it as, as you know, some pretty, pretty big adversity. Sure. I mean, the the good part being, you know, three months, there's a a finite timeline, right? And uh, that that light at the end of the tunnel, although maybe not, maybe I'm just reading into it. Um, you know, uh, but I think I think it's always great when you go through, you know, uh, 
a change of locale, a change of pace. Um, and if you have to go through it yourself as opposed to with people, um, you know, whenever you change things up like that, I feel like you learn so much about everything, you know, like your surroundings, yourself, your, um, your partner, the, the people in your life. And, um, I'm glad that it's been a good experience, um, as much as being away from your family for three months can be. And I'm glad that they're coming down here finally. That'll be great for you. Yeah, we, uh, we're, we, we're pretty beside ourselves with excitement right now. I'll be honest. Um, it's been, uh, it, it's been interesting and, and, but overwhelmingly positive or as positive, I think, as it can possibly be. Um, but, you know, the channels of communication obviously have to get blown wide open, which has been amazing. And, and we find, you know, we find creative ways to connect as far as, you know, FaceTime does wonders, right? Uh, right. And even if it's just watching, like watching our daughter play, you know, it's not even that she's actively having a conversation with me, but just watching her play and things like that um, has been hugely beneficial. You've made a point in your career from what I could tell of being available and of, of being um, a strong leader um, that encourages other, you know, females and um, whether it's young women or, or little girls to, to be involved in sports and in leadership type of roles. Um, where do you think that comes from? That's an, that's such an awesome question. So one of the things, I mean, I think probably the mentors that I've had in my life. And so it just feels like a natural thing to want to try to pay that forward. Um, and not selfishly, I think that in paying that forward, it's almost like a gift back to the people that have mentored and brought you along. So one of the things that, um, you know, that, that had resonated with me that I heard the other day is like, Hey, you know, if you, if you've been fortunate enough to get to a place where you're happy and you're doing something that you love, don't forget to send the elevator back down and, and bring up the next person. So for me, it, it, it's a couple of different things. Number one, um, I had the opportunity to hear Condoleezza Rice speak at our Women's Golf Coaches Association convention a few years ago. And there was one thing that she said that I thought was just so astute and profound, and I'll never forget it. So she said, you know, here's what you need to know about mentors. Like, they don't necessarily have to look like you. Like, for example, had I waited, you know, for an African-American female Soviet specialist to come along and be my mentor, <laughs> you know, like I would right. have never, you know, and, and she kind of like jokingly lighthearted said, you know, like all of my mentors have been like older white guys. Cause you know, those were the guys that were, you know, Soviet specialists. And I thought that that was so astute. So I think like similarly, um, the people that I, I would count as mentors, um, you know, there, there's a few people that come to mind, but Fran Reedy, who's the director of athletics at St. Leo university, right up the road. Um, Daniel Fide, who is a senior associate athletic director at Southern Mississippi. And then Jim Fee, who is an associate athletic director here at South Florida. You know, those three guys all kind of have similar profiles. Now they're very different personality wise. Um, but I kind of harken back to that, to that Condoleezza Rice thing. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that looks like me. It just has to be somebody that I see something in that I would want to emulate. 
And those three people to me all have really unique strengths and things that I would, there's no other way to say it, things that I do strive to emulate and things that I've taken from those relationships that I try to then employ with the people around me. So as far as being encouraging and kind of a morale person, I think that's me anyway. Like uh, people tease me that like, oh my gosh, you know, you rode into work on your unicorn today. And it's like, thanks. Like I take that as a compliment. You know, there's enough, there's enough cynicism and there's enough negativity, you know, that's, that's for other people to bring that. Like I want to try to bring positivity and energy, you know, every day, but those people, those, those three people that I just named, like, you know, they've taught me the value of an incredibly strong work ethic. They've taught me to have a backbone and know that, you know, sometimes decisions that you're going to make are not going to be popular. However, you know, you have to trust your instinct, your intuition, um, your gut, and you have to not feel bad about, you know, being willing to make that tough decision. Um, you know, they've taught me things that, that have become fundamental truths for me. So, you know, one of those is you can pretend to care, you can't pretend to be there. And there's such a difference when you recognize that, yes, you could send someone the text that says like, hey, I'm really sorry that your, you know, father passed away. You know, I, you have my thoughts and prayers or you can drive the four hours and show up for their funeral. And those are very different things. Um, you know, they've taught me that nobody is above the broom. And all three of those people that I named, you know, they live that motto wholeheartedly like absolutely nobody is above the broom if you see something that you can do to make something cleaner or brighter or better you know pick up the trash speak to the janitors you know everybody gets treated the same that that you are only ever as good as how you treat other people and so for me um going back and that's really long-winded I apologize but going back to the original question I think I try to pay those things forward as a way to honor those relationships and those people that have poured into me. Kids are constantly outgrowing their sneakers and I have no idea how you parents keep up with it. But I do have a solution for you. Easy Kicks. With Easy Kicks, kids can wear their shoes as long as they want. And once they're erect, too small, or they just want a new style, you can send them back in a prepaid shipping envelope. The shoes that you send back are donated to nonprofit organizations. If they're in great condition, they're sent to foster kids in need. And if they are erect, they are recycled through Nike Grind. Only $20 a month per child. There are no limits to how often you can swap for a new pair. And they're an official partner of Nike, which means you're going to get some great shoes. Visit easykicks.com slash join now to sign up and use the discount code EZLISTEN at checkout for $5 off your first month in the club. That's easykicks.com slash join now to sign up and use the discount code EZLISTEN at checkout and you'll get $5 off your first month in the club. I think that's fantastic. You know, I, I know that I try to be available and I try to be open and I'm always more than happy to be on a panel or, or what have you. Um, and it, I, it's something that I just think is so important um, for us as, you know, women in a male dominated industry, whether or not you want to acknowledge or, or 
pointed out, right? Um, it's a fact. And, um, and for younger women to, to see possibility models is so important to me. Um, hence this podcast. I have another really like technical question for you, but sure. I, I wonder if, um, you could kind of walk through what the process is like when, um, when you're applying for a coaching position. Like what is, what happens there? Yeah. Okay. So that's um, that's another awesome question, and I think it varies uh, depending on the position and how the search is being conducted. So, um, to me, I think that your in in today's age, you know, your social media presence and things like that that really is your business card now. Um, you know, the resume as a standalone document to me is a bit of a dying concept now. Every job that I've ever applied for has asked for a resume. Um, so I do think that there's still value in keeping that up to date and things like that. But it seems like as more and more people are connected, people know your story long before you present it to them on, on a you know concise one sheet of paper. So it really depends on the position. So for example, um, you, I don't know. Like they, so you obviously you're going to apply. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna complete the application. You're gonna submit your letters of red, uh, recommendation, and and you're gonna go through those steps. But I think that applying for a job starts long before the job ever becomes open. Uh, and I think if you're doing it the right way and treating people the way they deserve to be treated, and if you are a values-based person, like in a sense, you're always applying for a job. If, if that makes sense, not that that's ever, not that that's ever the end game. Right. Um, but, but people are so connected now. I mean, you just, you can't fake it. You know, you can't, you, you don't get to, to be a terrible human and think that you're getting that past right. anybody. Um, so, so it's amazing. It's amazing how the network, like, so college athletics is really not that big um, when it comes down to it. You know, everybody knows somebody or has worked with somebody uh, you know, even if it's not in the same exact area of a department, you know, everybody's got that, that one person that, you know, is at the institution that you're looking at or considering. Um, and I think that that, again, harkens back to the fact that if you're doing it right, like you're always going to be treating people well. And then in the end, you know what I mean? You never know who knows who. Knows who. Um, and and it, it's amazing to me how many people that lesson is lost on sure. and they just, you know, they, they don't seem to understand how connected we all, we really are. But, um, so active networking, I don't know. I don't know that I'm, you know, I'm not going to networking events and passing out business <laughs> cards or anything like that. Um, but I think your personality, I think your energy, I think your vibe and your enthusiasm, like that is your business card anymore. Um, and, and so I, I don't know, I just try to, I try to be, first off, I try to be authentic. Um, you know, I'm a preppy redneck. I'm a tomboy. I'm, <laughs> wait, you know, wait, like wait, I, wait, a yeah. preppy redneck. Yeah. The preppiest redneck you've ever met. That's me for sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, oh my God. I so, love you. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and, but I'll say this, like, I feel like if you're self-aware, right? Like if you kind of own, 
if you're willing to just own your quirks and your uniqueness, like I feel like I'm drawn to people that are authentic, whatever it may be, even if I don't agree with it, even if I think somebody's, you know, over the top and boisterous and whatever, like if it's authentic, I'm still drawn to it. And, and so I, I try to, I try to, I don't know, like I just try to be, I try to be myself all the time and, and yeah. sometimes that gets me in trouble and sometimes that resonates with people. And I think what I've done is I've, I've liberated myself from the need to please everyone. And when I got to that point, it was the most freeing feeling to like figure out that, you know what, like I'm for some people and I'm not going to be for some people and that that's okay. And that that's totally fine if you think, you know what, like, she is not my people. All good, right? Right. But then there's other people that are like, wow, I really like being around you. And yeah. I think when you, when you free yourself from that burden of perfection, man, things, things just get a lot more fun. I mean, I 100% agree with all of that. I've, uh, it's something that I've personally worked on. Oh God, forever. And really it just, I feel like in the last couple of years, have I just gotten to a point where I'm like, you know what, this is what I do. This is who I am. And, you know, um, I'm not going to be the leader that uh, every organization uh, envisions. Right. So like I might not fit in the box that one organization, you know, feels is necessary for their leadership versus a different sure. one. And, and I think we always have to be mindful of, um, of a couple of things. One, like our current situation never has to be our permanent situation. And then also that, you know, uh, just as, you know, we date people to figure out who's the best fit, you kind of do that with jobs and, and organizations as well. Um, and with time, you know, you'll find that right fit. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think people self-select when it's not the right situation for them. And I think that that's really wise as well. Yeah. I think you have to have a situation that's not fulfilling and not bringing you the type of joy that you feel like you deserve. Sure. And then at the same time, I think from a managerial standpoint, you have to not be afraid to get, um, you know, this is totally Jim Collins. I'm feeling it right from him, but you know, it, there may not be a seat on the bus for you. This may not be the right spot for you. And so, you know, sometimes you have to make those tough decisions too, but um, morale and culture are things that are so important to me. Um, foundationally, I think that if you don't have strong work culture and you don't have morale, you're, you're playing without a full deck. Um, so, I, so yeah, again, I'm, I'm for sure the cheerleader. I'm for <laughs> sure, you know, the one on my unicorn, but I think that there's, there's a necessity for that. And I think that, you know, I, unfortunately there's a lot of people that are out there hurting, you know, and, and I, I just try to be the person that's bringing a little bit of, of joy or a little bit of uplifting lightheartedness each day. Yeah, sure. Although I, I will say I'm a little jealous of your unicorn. I don't think anybody has ever suggested that I rode in anywhere on a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can get you one. I'm we just saying. Oh, I like that. Okay, cool. When talking about um, interviewing and and 
um, going after those coaching positions, like from a global, a more global and less specific um, uh, point of view, you know, obviously your prior records at other schools is important, right? Um, but do they like bring you in and say, okay, we need you to, um, to swing a golf club and we want you to evaluate these people. Like, I guess like for me as an attorney, it's, it's kind of easy, right? Like, Hey, you went to law school, you have a law degree, you know how to redline contracts. You're not an idiot. Okay, cool. Like it's easy to judge ish. Right. Um, right. And I don't get into the decisions made by my organization on like who we hire for coaching and all that. So I never really know. I, I've not been brought into the conversations on like, how do you choose? Right. So I'm always curious about that. And um, yeah, that's my question. Yeah. No, it's a cool <laughs> question. So I've never been asked to swing a golf club. That's probably that, that may actually be a good thing. Um, but I think that I've always been asked like behavioral specific action oriented questions. So, you know, gone are the days of tell us your three strengths and your three weaknesses, you know, those kind of mundane interview questions. Like it's all situational now uh, with the, with the interviews that I've been in. So tell us about a time that you had a student athlete that was fighting tremendous adversity. And what did you do to help get them over the hump? Tell us about a time that you had a student athlete that was in a huge slump from a performance standpoint. And, you know, what did you do? You know, explain your coaching philosophy and tell me some things that you would say in an opening meeting, you know, when you meet your team for the first time. So, uh, you know, I feel like I've gotten asked some really cool questions and some questions that actually kind of make you, you know, sit back, take pause, and and you want to give the answer it's due diligence in that moment. Um, but, but yeah, no, never, never gotten asked to swing a club. Um, you know, I think that, that you, your record, your record is what it is, right? That's subjective. Like you have a certain number of wins and a certain number of losses or, you know, in golf, you can, you can demonstrate what your ranking was before you got to a specific place and then how you improved it. Those are all things that, you know, if you've made it to the interview process, those are all things that all of the candidates have. So I think administrators in an interview are really trying to discern more of like, who am I getting to, to you know, be at the helm of, of this program? And so they're, they're really smart, I think, with the questions that they ask, because it does, it gives you a chance to, to kind of show who you are as a person more than who you are with X's and O's and sports tactics. And that's a, that's actually a process that I've always enjoyed. I think one fundamental difference between males and females when it comes to interviewing is, you know, when I, when I talk to guys that have been through an interview process, they're not afraid to just state unequivocally that I am the best person for this job. And, you know, in a very tactful way, but, but you guys would be making a mistake if you didn't choose me. And I think the more women that I've talked to about interviews, they downplay their strengths. It's like they play small in an interview, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty okay, you know, um, and, and just kind of meek, uh, you know, not afraid to like really just stand on the fact that like in their own way, they're brilliant. 
And so I think my charge for women, especially, uh, you know, in the interview process is to like, don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid. Certainly, you know, don't, don't be crass. Don't be boisterous just for the sake of being boisterous, but like, it's okay to stand on the things that got you to where you are and to stand on your successes. And I don't think that that's anything that, that women should ever feel like they have to play small with, you know, it's okay to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty great. And, and here's how I've demonstrated that, that I'm, you know what I mean? That I'm a, right. I'm a pretty cool person. Um, and then one thing that I've always done at the end of, of interviews, um, you know, if, if it's a position that I want, is I just state that in black and white, like, you know what, I would really love to be your next head women's golf coach here at the University of South Florida. I want that. I want to be able to say that I am your golf coach. And I, I, I just wonder, I don't know, like, I just wonder if there are enough women that are saying that. And I don't know the answer. I have no anecdotal evidence one way or the other, but I've always wondered if there are enough women that are being strong and, and, and just unafraid to say, you know what, I, I want this and I need, you know, you need to choose me because I want it more than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, so I think that there are are so many layers to, to that, right? Because there was so much conditioning that's occurred in our, in our lives um, as women that, has um, made it quote unquote unacceptable to do some some of what you just said. Um, I think also like we don't even realize it when we are playing small, right? So the best uh, example is when someone gives you a compliment and you're like, oh, well, I just did it. it like, no, say thank you. Move on. Mm-hmm. You know, such um, a huge proponent of that. And it, you're absolutely right. So many people downplay. You know what? I've noticed that with men too. It's like you give them a compliment, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this whole thing, haha!" Like you, you know, like or oh no, I it's just whatever. No, it's not. Just say thanks. Like you, yeah. just own. You know what I mean? Own the moment. Yeah. Because I think what they don't like what what people don't realize is when you devalue someone else's compliment. Like it. I don't want to say it's a slap in the face. That's way too strong of a term. But like a little bit, you called the person that's giving you a compliment like you you've said no you're wrong right if you if you diminish the compliment right you know it's almost an insult to the person that gave it to you yeah the other thing that um that we do and i i catch myself doing it from time to time but i've gotten much better with age um i love how i act like i'm so old um <laughs> uh <laughs> but i i've i've started kind of gently calling other people out on it and it's apologizing and saying sorry when what you really mean is excuse me or um or you're just filling you know space when someone you know says hey maybe you should do this like you don't need to apologize they're just giving you a critique right like they're giving you feedback and you take feedback in and and then you decide whether or not to change the feedback the behavior, you don't really have to apologize for that necessarily, right? Like, unless you're doing something shitty, you know, if you're just like, you know, using the wrong font, you say, okay, cool, moving on, right? Like, I, there was, 
especially young women. I had a conversation with somebody recently. And I swear to God, she said sorry like five times in the matter of mm-hmm. two minutes. And I was like, honestly, we're going to have to have a conversation. Interesting. Yeah. I think as women, we do it a lot, right? So somebody um, says, excuse me, while they're, you know, grabbing the lettuce that's on the shelf above where you're looking in the produce section, you say, oh, sorry. Right. Like that reflexive. Sorry. Um, uh, think, you know, things like that. And um, I think it's another way that we like kind of make ourselves a little small. Right. Because by that we're saying, well, I'm not I'm not worth having the space here, you know, um, and I don't know. It's just something I notice, especially with, with some of the younger women that are around me. And when someone really shouldn't be apologizing, I, I you know, we'll gently be like, you know, you don't have to say sorry to that, right? Let's talk about why you said sorry. Let's, let's try and make that not your default answer to things. Um, you know, I, I love that because I don't know that I had ever really thought about it, but as soon as you triggered on it, it happens so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't, again, I don't think I had ever latched onto that, but, but you're so right. That happens all the time. So much, so much, especially, like I said, especially with younger women. Um, I notice that, well, I think people that are, as they become more confident and are owning their space, right. And owning their, their voice, um, say it less frequently. Um, but the less confident and sure you are, the more likely you're, you are to apologize. Um, and I don't know. I think it, it, especially with with young with younger women who I see have so much potential. Um, they, it, it, I don't want them to hinder their ability to to move up or to get greater responsibility because of a habit like that. That is just kind of ingrained in you. You don't even realize it. So interesting. Oh, yeah. oh man. Yeah. That's got me thinking now because, <laughs> because yeah, I, I, now that I've latched onto it, I mean, it really does happen. And it makes me think too, the people that use like just mm-hmm. as a qualifier, like, Hey, just wanted to send you this quick email to see if you wanted to do lunch. Right. Like even the word just is playing small to me or wanted you know, to hey, <laughs> like, or wanted to, yeah. right? Like, what are you actually doing right now? You are sending the email. Right. Seeing, right. and I do it all the time. I, um, uh, my, uh, my former boss, um, who just left the organization, um, told me about Grammarly and it's like a plugin for, um, Microsoft Office and, um, big Gmail. You know, it's like a Chrome plugin type thing. Okay. And it'll pick up on some things like that. And there's another one that I don't, I don't remember the name of, but it, that looks for that passive voice. And it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and it's amazing uh, when it's like called out, how often you'll recognize, you'll, you'll see it. Um, and, and you'll take a moment and, and think, but I, I definitely get caught up on that sometimes. The, I love that. Hey, no. just wanted to, hey, just checking, hey. Right. You know, and again, it it's 
hard enough sometimes to feel as though you haven't enough of an authoritative voice that people are going to pay attention to you without, you know, adding additional obstacles. (laughs) Um, I think sometimes we do it so that things come off softer because we're afraid that we may sound bitchy. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that, the double standard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For sure. For sure. Um, I want to move on to something a little lighter. Sure. Let's go. Let's go light. Business calls are on the rise, so don't miss the chance to connect and bring in new customers. With Ruby Receptionists, all your calls are guaranteed to be answered live by a team of friendly, professional, remote receptionists, helping you secure customers and build trust. Ruby is the only live remote receptionist service dedicated to helping business owners turn rings into relationships. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby delivers exceptional experiences to your callers by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, making follow-up calls, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist, but at a fraction of the cost. Most importantly, they sound like they're sitting right in your office. To learn more or get started, Visit them online at callruby.com, that's C-A-L-L-R-U-B-Y.com, or better yet, give them a call, 888-340-RUBY, that's 888-340-RUBY. Talk to me about karaoke. Somebody did some YouTube digging. Oh, my God. So for everyone listening, there is going to be a link uh, to this video um, on the website. So actually go to the website that none of you go to. Um, I love you all, but none of you go to the website. Um, It's amazing, Erica. It's so good. So can you talk about what that, like where that came from, the, the idea of it and, uh, and what it felt like being a goofball? Um, okay. So being a goofball is not a stretch for me. Um, <laughs> natural, you know, uh, business as usual mode that I operate in. So I'm very at home being a goofball, but, um, it's cool because now when I, when I play that ridiculous icebreaker game that they always make you play in a staff meeting where you have to tell two truth and a lie um i say that i sang karaoke in front of forty thousand people and everyone thinks that that's the lie um but it's not the lie that's actually a truth so this karaoke with the coaches concept was at the university of southern mississippi and they play it on the jumbotron at football during one of the timeouts and so the idea is is you're you know you're going to sing one of the verses and then the participant on the field has to guess what song it is and then it cuts back to you for the chorus. So um, I did Single Ladies by Beyonce. Yes, you did. I, got, <laughs> I mean, I got to like embrace my my inner queen bee and it felt amazing. Um, so uh, it's, it's not uncommon for me to, like I dance constantly. Like I can't ever not be dancing. So that's that like <laughs> that whole karaoke with the coaches thing like just really was not that big of a stretch for me. That's kind of probably more normal than I <laughs> that I should admit. Um but I'm pretty lighthearted as as it comes. So uh I actually really enjoyed that and um 
so yeah, so now it lives on the internet. Forever. Yeah, yeah it does. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I'll say this. I didn't feel like I left any in the tank. I feel like I really went for it. Good. And, um, <laughs> and, and hopefully it made some people laugh. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, second to the the picture of your your little girl. I want to say she was less than a year old. That was on um, it, it, someone else's blog um, that interviewed you. Um, but uh, it was definitely one of my favorite things that I found about you. And yeah. and you did. You were just in it, and it was amazing. And what I loved about it was the concept and I enjoy, um, I don't know. I really like when there's a demystification of people, right? So instead of putting people on a pedestal and thinking that they're perfect and like one dimensional, right? Um, uh, that they're always that really tough person on the sidelines or whatever. Like when you, when you introduce some of their, other personality traits that you don't typically get to see. It's one of my favorite things. Um, I'll get like a comment about like one of our coaches and I'll be like, you have no idea. He has the driest humor in the world and makes fun of me like you wouldn't fucking believe. Um, And people are like, really? You know, depending on who I'm talking about, I'm like, yeah, it's hilarious. I love it. Um, Like, I, I just like, you know, when when you're able to do that with people who are in like authoritative or you know these really strong positions right Uh, I I agree but I think it comes back to that authenticity thing I mean I think it's just so important to show people your vulnerabilities and to show people that you don't have it all together and that there's beauty in not having it all together and that it's okay to let your hair down and be a little bit silly sometimes and I think the more we can reveal about ourselves, especially in the workplace. Um, again, I only see that as a positive. You know, some people don't let their hair down so much that they get all teary during their panel, like somebody <laughs> speaking right now. Uh, right. It happened, folks. I don't know what to say. Um, but yeah, okay. I agree. <laughs> it's totally okay. Um I want to uh, give you some space to talk about leading beyond sport and um, something that you said right before we started talking about your amazing karaoke skills um, was about playing, you know, playing small and not playing big. And um, from, from what I can tell from your website and um, leading beyond sport, you really get behind, um, you know, the, motivating and empowerment of other people you know women in particular playing fit yeah I just think so so fundamentally I think that everybody is uniquely brilliant and it's something that I'll say daily whether it's in a text message to a co-worker or something like that like I always sign off or, or kind of tag it with like be brilliant because I think that's what I want for everybody I've been the person that's insecure. I've been the person that struggled with self-confidence, you know, for a period of my life and coming out on the other side of that and just understanding that literally everybody that I encounter is brilliant in some way and that there's something I can learn from them and that there's something that, you know, 
there's something that I don't know about them. And, and so therefore, like, I want to learn what that is. Um, and, and so I guess that's what I want for, for literally everyone is to just understand that like what they may see as quirks or what they may see as weaknesses, like it's just not like just flip that on its head and understand that that is a part of you. And that's what makes you uniquely qualified to add your voice to the mix. And it's why we need your voice added to the mix. Um, and so I do, I, I like, I don't know, like I like championing other people. I like helping people to, to try to believe, to see the greatness that other people see in them. Like I want them to see that for themselves. So, um, you know, I, I blog a little bit. I would love to be more consistent with it. Um, but I blog at ericabrennan.com. Um, we started the, the podcast. I will be completely honest with you with this mid-year coaching change and being <laughs> here for three months, like obviously that's the priority, right? Yeah. Like first and foremost, like this soft program, you know, is my priority. Um, so I have not had a chance to, to actually, you know, interview people for the podcast lately. It's awesome. I've got a couple of co- couple of loyal listeners that are coaches that, I mean, they're not afraid to hold me accountable too. They're like, when's your next podcast episode coming out? And I love that about them. Like I absolutely love that about them. Um, but if anything, I think this conversation tonight has been probably the big, you know, kick that I needed to to get back to, to some of those things because they are, you know, they are near and dear to my heart, I guess. But I, I don't know, like when I see insecurity in other people or when I see, you know, people that believe that because someone else is getting a piece of the pie, that means that there's no pie for them. Like, I just want to, like, I want to, I don't know, I want to hug them and just be like, man you're way more awesome than you give yourself credit for. And if, if that platform and that calling is something that I can stay committed to, um, you know, obviously my hope and and my dream is that we're going to have more people that are out there owning their brilliance. That's awesome. I love it. Um, it, it takes like a good three to what, six, nine months to like really settle into a position and, and especially with a big move, um, I'm pretty sure everybody's okay with you focusing on that first. Um, 100%. And I'm sure that everyone's like, listen, Erica, you take care of all of us. We need you to take care of you sometimes, too. You know what I mean? I, I hope. I, I hope that, that, uh, that they understand that. But you know what? I find, I find ways to take care of myself, like, for sure. Like, I, I love to read. You know, I love to, to recharge, listen to music, dance. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been to, I think, every, almost every single home sports event that's gone on on campus when we haven't been traveling with golf, just because, again, I'm a jock. I love sports. Yep. Um, you know, so, so I find, I definitely find ways to take care of me and recharge and, and things like that. So. Good. I don't, I definitely don't feel like the tank is depleted in any, in any shape or fashion. And if anything, I think that like those moments, especially one-on-one when you feel like you maybe have helped someone to believe in themselves a little bit more, like if anything, that is fulfilling to me and that does refill the tank and, and things like that. So no, I don't ever, I don't ever feel like I'm running at a loss. To be honest, I'm always I'm always pretty dang optimistic. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm in awe of your 
of your ability to to always um, do that. I know, you know, I think we all have different personality types, right? So for me, like you saw me, I loved being on that panel and speaking to people and um, and talking to to the young women afterwards. But I will tell you that that makes me so tired at the end of the night, um, sure. especially if I do a few of them. And I had another one last evening at Stetson um, Law School, which was or College of Law, which is great. And again, everyone's great, and I love it when I'm in the minute in it. And then the second I walk away, I'm like, oh my god, I need to go to sleep. Um, and that's <laughs> just and that's just because I'm an ambivert like that. You know, I I definitely can feed off of a crowd and and be that outgoing, you know, uh, gregarious person. But I definitely love me some couch time with my fur balls uh, sure. who are just like pacing back and forth right now. They like, don't know what to do with me tonight. They're, they're ready. They're like, can you stop talking to Erica now and give us some attention? They're, they're, well, I'm surprised Zoe hasn't started crying yet because usually she makes an appearance. And uh, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And, um, and we're, we're recording this a little bit later than I normally do. And so now is when she'd be like, all right, come to bed. Okay. What are you doing? Why aren't you coming to bed? Um, yes, I know how to speak cat. That's another problem and reasons why I am single forever. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on. Can you please tell my listeners, um, where they can follow along with everything going on with you. Sure. So the easiest place to find me is probably Twitter or Instagram. That's Coach Brennan USF. So Coach Brennan USF on Twitter and Instagram. I'm pretty active on both of those platforms. Um, my cell phone number is right there on the staff directory at GoUSFBulls.com. I'm always available by phone um, and we'll make it's a priority to get back with you if I happen to, to miss connecting with you. But outside of that, yeah, I would love to connect um, in whatever way is easiest for you. So slide into the DM or however else you want to contact me, but I'll be available and would love to have a conversation. Awesome. Um, thank you again so much. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And I, uh, I'm really pumped for what I know is going to be a really awesome friendship going forward. Thank you so much to Erica for being on the pod and um, in a particularly last minute type of situation, we pulled this off. So I was really excited about that. Um, And I want to thank all of you again for being here, for continuing to listen and um, for sharing the podcast with other people. I know that this week in particular, we have some new listeners, um, some from the University of South Florida and some from Stetson um, uh, College of Law. Um, I spoke recently at both locations and on, a, on panels. And um, so, hi, everyone. It was great to meet you. And thanks for listening. You can rate review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and RadioInfluence.com. Those are my guys, Jerry and Jason. They are always keeping me on track and dealing with my procrastination. Thank you guys so much. It has been an amazing whirlwind with you guys. 
Um, and as always, you know, check us out on the social media. Um, I'd like to get some more conversations going with y'all. So um, we are at LTPF pod on uh, Facebook, on Twitter and on Instagram. And um, the website is ltpfpod.com. And I am at Bobby Sue on Twitter. I hope you all have a great week. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Let's break down this Sacramento shooting. In fact, the owner of the Sacramento Kings, the basketball team out there, gave a speech and basically said that he was in unity with the community and that justice needs to be served. But let's look at the totality of this shooting. Think about this. Police get a call about someone breaking into cars. Then he's breaking into houses. It could be a home invasion. He runs. He has an object in his hand when he faces police in a stance. What do you think the police assume that object is? Because most people that break into cars that break into homes, they're not just going around with water pistols, right? They usually are armed. So it turns out that the object in his hand was a cell phone. Now, according to his sister, the officer should have known it was a cell phone because it had a gold case. But his sister has never been in that situation. Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.